You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Folks, you're listening to Agent in Charge only on America's Web Radio. And uh, we've got the Agent in Charge, Mr. Sandy Bostic, on. And so, uh, as uh, our listeners, uh, if you remember from uh, previous, our last previous show, I, I said uh, that I was uh, in the process of lining up some really interesting people to bring onto this show and to uh, kind of broaden the horizons and, and not just do a strictly a law enforcement, law and order type of a, uh, of a program. And, and so, you know, today uh, I have a really good, uh, an old friend and, and a very successful uh American and uh, and so we're going to kind of he's uh, he's an example. I'm using him as a as the shining star example of uh, our topic today. And it's very it's in it's a very hot topic right now in America and around the world actually. And uh, what I'm calling today's show is the American dream. It does not exist in a socialist society. And so uh, the person I'm introducing today, his name is Chance Ritchie. And uh, Chance is from Texas. Uh, grew up in Texas around the San Angelo Brady area. And I'll let him give more details exactly on his life and and uh, you know his background. He did not. He didn't come from uh, poverty, but he definitely did not come from a privileged background. He he and I both grew up in a uh, very similar world, in which uh, we worked uh, in the fields and worked in the oil field and and uh, grew up kind of the old fashioned way and. Uh, Shortly upon leaving high school, Chance uh, joined the Navy, where he served for about, what was it, Chance, 15 years? Uh, 14 years, yep. 14 years, okay. So, and has a very distinguished career in the, in the United States Navy. And uh, I'll let him tell you more about that, of course. And then went on uh, to uh, into the, the business world upon leaving the Navy after, after serving his country well. Went into the uh, the business world and just made us all real proud of him. And uh, super intelligent guy, very down to earth. And the thing we like about Chance is he never forgot where he's from, you know. So that's what makes him special to us. So anyway, so I want to introduce Chance Ritchie. Chance, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me today, Sandy. Well, so tell me what, uh, what what brings you down to Texas. Well, you know, we we my wife and I have a uh, have a ranch down here near Brady. Um, we have 800 acres, and we're just sort of holing up here during this uh, COVID-19 epidemic or pandemic, whatever you want to call it, um, until it passes. And then we'll probably go back to Michigan, where our business is and, and where our primary residence is. Very nice. I understand that, that you guys are uh, eating some really good beef up there that a friend of yours uh, brought to you not too long ago. While you're holding up, you're not suffering too bad. Is that right? No, no, we're eating Wagyu beef for every meal and uh, actually killed a wild hog yesterday after uh, my trap seemed to work. So um, we're going to try that tonight. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm trying to show our five kids that you can survive without Whole Foods and uh, some of the other finer things in life. I've been to Chances Ranch several times. It's really a neat place, you know. It's uh, it's got everything. It's got pasture, it's got hills, it's got... He just got game. He's got pigs, and it's really a cool place to go. Hang out. By, by the but way, I, I, I think Sandy, I'm Sandy. I'm going to yeah, pump in here right life. quick. I want to just ask him, you know, kind of just kind of you know cover with us uh, where how you grew up. Where, where where's home to you? Well, home is probably Melbourne, Texas, and Melbourne, Texas uh, fluctuates between like 180 people and 190 people, depending on whether my family's down here. 
Um, but, you know, small town upbringing, um, basically lived out here in the country until I got to high school. Uh, my dad was in the oil and gas business for a long time, and in the mid-'80s, everything sort of cratered. And when I say cratered, it cratered. And we went from living in a nice three-bedroom, two-bath house uh, to my dad having to move to San Angelo and uh, sell cars. And, and it was rough. We lived in a pay-by-the-week motel called the Barrington Motor Lodge, which um, I always tell my kids when we go to San Angelo, all you can see now is the foundation after they tore it down. But it's a pretty rough place. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was a rough couple of years while my dad got his feet back under him, uh, eventually got back in the oil and gas business. But there wasn't any any money for college for me whenever, you know, I graduated high school. And, and so, you know, I, I, I looked around and I, I worked in the oil field for a little bit right after high school and, and then joined the Navy. And, and, you know, the Navy was, was a huge godsend to me. And, and I can't talk enough about the benefits of, of you know, the, what the Navy did for me and what it can do for other people that, uh, you know, may need a little direction and are looking for an opportunity in their life. So, so when you joined the Navy, now, did you, did you, uh, was this, you went in, if I remember correct, you went in as an enlisted person, right? Yeah, no, so I joined enlisted right out of high school, and um, so I originally wanted to show up up there to be a SEAL, so I went to the recruiting office, uh, there was a movie that came out like in the summer of 90 when I graduated high school called Navy SEALs with Charlie Sheen, and it got me all excited about being a SEAL, so I went down to the recruiting office and I took their exam, and the recruiter said, well, you don't qualify for SEALs, but what you qualify for is our nuclear engineering program for enlisted people, and I was like... He said that we get a $6,000 bonus if we can get through the schools, and, and I hadn't ever seen $6,000 in my entire life, so <laughs> that sounded pretty good to me. So ended up being a, a nuclear reactor operator um, at, once I got through about two years of school um, on a nuclear aircraft carrier, the USS Abraham Lincoln. Uh, did a, a tour on the Abraham Lincoln, was an instructor for a while at one of the schools, and then got picked up for a program uh, where the Navy basically uh, paid paid for my college. So I went to the University of Texas, got a chemical engineering degree while I was in ROTC, and then got my commission at the end of that and uh, was a nuclear submarine officer on USS Alabama. Wow, that's pretty impressive. So, so in total, I mean, uh, I know that I'm just remembering back, I know you went to school. Uh, they, they put you through a school for a lot of years. How many, how many years of training did you get to before you uh, actually became an officer? So I did, I did four years of college. I did four years of college, and then I had to go to Navy Nuclear Power School, which was down in Charleston, which is seven months, um, which is just, you know, nuclear physics, nuclear uh, reactor operations. And then I went to Nuclear Prototype, which is an actual working reactor in Boston Spa, New York, outside Saratoga Springs. Not many people know that there's a active nuclear reactor out there it's public information but um and trained on that reactor for about six or seven months before i went out to alabama in beginning of 2003 and you just recently finished a uh, a uh, a program uh a, a, was it a, a bachelor i mean i'm sorry a master's program from columbia university what was that what was that degree in yeah, so, so, you know, the good thing about the Navy is, you know, look, they'll, they'll pay for your education for a lifetime. You know, I had the benefit of the GI Bill after I got out of the Navy. So I, I got an MBA from the University of Texas right after I got out in 2005. And then uh, 
couple years ago, a few years ago, I went. I applied to Columbia University in New York uh, to get my master's in environmental engineering because environmental engineering is really tied into a lot of the things I've done in the oil and gas industry and in the chemical industry. So graduated from there, um, actually last semester. Um, you're never too old to go to college, so uh, so you know wrapped up there at 47 years old, and uh, you know got my master's in environmental engineering. Very nice. So, uh, and I know I know you're, you're uh, you've uh, you enjoy going to school, and, and uh, you're, you've even considered. I know we talked about this in the past about doing some uh, some uh, temporary professor work in different universities, teaching different subjects, which is very commendable. You know, and we've also talked about this too in this day and age when uh, you know there's so much confusion and, and so much, for lack of a better word, baloney that's being taught in a lot of the liberal arts colleges. You know, you know, I've discussed this before that when you when you send a, uh, a kid, whether be a you know male or female to college, you know, things have changed so much today that uh, you know you really I've seen so many kids get out of college with these degrees and they can't make a living. And then they end up going and, and teaching school and not, you know, which is no, nothing wrong with teaching school, but you know, you have a really limited cap of what you can make. And, uh, what I've always suggested today, because the world's changed since I went through college and, and, uh, but you know, a person such as yourself, you know, there's really the three best avenues is either, you know, get into the military and do what you did, you know, whichever branch you, which you, uh, would prefer to serve in. Or, you know, go to a technical school or go to, to a technical college. Send your kids to technical college for first they can learn how to make a living like you did. And then if they want to go get a, uh, a, uh, a liberal arts degree in, in, say, English or history, you know, what do you think about that? Do you think that's uh, what would be your advice to someone coming right out of high school with the experience that you've had? Well, I've got a very strong opinion about this. So I'll give you two examples to start out with. My, uh, my best friend, Cody, who joined the Navy with me, we went to high school and San Angelo together. Um, is, uh, he, he has no college education whatsoever. He went through the same nuclear enlisted program that I went through in the Navy. And now he makes about, I don't know, $400,000 a year working for Applied Materials. He runs a whole division for them with no college education whatsoever. So, you know, that's one example where I think technical skills really trump sort of a liberal arts education. Um, and, you know, it's, and then there's another example, which I'll tell you about, which is pretty near and dear to me, and that's my son uh, right now who is about to graduate from the University of Michigan, and he has a sports management degree is what he's getting out with. Well, all the sports leagues are shut down, so he doesn't have any job prospects really. And, you know, ultimately he's probably going to end up selling tickets for one of these, uh, one of these teams. And I'm not sure that you really need a degree for that. So I, I just see, right, it as, yeah. you know, kind of four years of really wasted time towards a career. Um, and four years is huge when you're trying to get a leg up on, on the next guy. And I, I just don't think that a college education has the same weight that it had, uh, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I just think it's 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 so diluted now with the number of programs that are out there um, that unless you're going for something very specific that's needed in the field, like an engineering degree, a technical degree, you know, you want to be a veterinarian, something very specific, then, you know, technical school or just on-the-job training is probably a better a better situation. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. I, I, I had no idea that Cody didn't have a college degree. He's, he's, a, he's a smart dude. 
Yeah, you kind of shocked me on that one. Right, but I, know, um, I know this whole crew real well. Sandy, I'm going to need to interrupt. Yeah. Uh, we're ti- it's time to take a break, and I uh, want to thank Chance for being on. And uh, we'll be back with Sandy and Chance in just a moment. The one thing I do want to point out from what you all are talking about, we do a number of military shows, veteran shows here on America's Web Radio, and we continually, on all of those shows, Ask the parents, grandparents, and anybody else that's listening to make sure their high school graduate or their college graduate, be it male or female, look at the military. And it doesn't matter which branch you go after, the Army, Navy, Coast Guard, Air Force, like my son is in. Uh, He's a major in the Air Force now. And... uh, He's loved every second of it. He's toured the world. He and his wife have gone everywhere. And it is just the military, like they say, it it turns boys into men, uh, girls into women. And uh, it's just a great opportunity. And like you pointed out, Chance, the educational benefits are just beyond the pale. It's just absolutely incredible. So we support exactly what you're saying, and we say it all the time. Look at the military when you get out of high school or even after you've graduated from college. You can go back and uh, become an officer. So with that being said, we're going to take a couple of uh, announcements, and we'll be back. One announcement that I do want to make is that we support the Johns Creek healing wall which is the 50 percent replica of the vietnam veterans wall in washington dc and chance i know because i know your father very very well uh what that wall means to him and uh and it's and this one has also uh, they call it the healing wall because it's uh, put a closure to many folks um uh, that needed closure but john's creek is in georgia and they have the 50 percent size of the uh, washington healing wall or washington vietnam veterans wall that has traveled all over the country and john's creek is giving it a permanent home they were going to have their opening ceremony the 28th of march but because of the virus and uh, some weather conditions here in Georgia, uh, they they are not taking it off. They're just postponing it. And uh, as soon as we have a date for it, we will be sure to announce it. The governor's coming and some other dignitaries, particularly dignitaries from the Georgia Military Hall of Fame, which is incredible. And uh, one of our show host which is general richard dix he's certainly going to be there as is most of the folks from america's web radio so keep in mind scratch off march the 28th for the jc healing wall and get ready for a postponed date and we'll have that to you just as quickly as we can we'll play a couple of ads and we'll be back with sandy and chance right after this hello i'm dr mike karuchak Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on The Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. 
Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back. Okay, I've got Chance Ritchie on the the, uh, the line with us here today, and, and David Moxley on the other line, and and we're uh, just uh, getting some advice and, and looking at a real interesting uh, history of this guy, uh, Chance Ritchie, and, and things he's accomplished in life. Uh, we're going to move on with our program here, and like I say, we uh, we call this today the American Dream. It doesn't exist in a socialist society. Chance is a, a very, uh, very positive example of this and the things he's accomplished in his life. And so I'm not going to tell you what his net worth is. I really don't know, but we he and I don't ever discuss that. And uh, his money is but this might buy but this. But I do. I will say one thing so you can kind of get an idea where what he's accomplished. He at one point he still does own the, the largest Maserati collection, I believe, in the world. Right, Chance. Well, it was it was Lamborghini Diablos, but uh, okay, but, uh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, that that's even better. I, I think I think you'll get two cars anyway. So anyway, so so tell us, you know, so uh, you told us you were in the Navy for a little over fourteen years. Uh, you were a uh, a uh, went into officer training. You became an officer and you went into the nuclear program. Served uh, served for years underwater and, and protecting this country and. Protecting our way of life and the freedoms we have. So, once you served your country, what did you do then? So, so I got out of the Navy in 2005 with with 14 years in, and and that was really a difficult decision for me. Um, I had one small child um, who's now 18, um, and then I had one on the way, and I knew that I was going to have to go do a couple more sea tours to get to my retirement age, and I really didn't want to do that with a family, so. Made the decision to get out, uh, started getting my MBA and doing investment banking in Austin, Texas, um, right after I got out. Did that for a couple of years and was primarily focused on raising money for oil and gas deals. Um, and then after a couple of years of doing that, the crash came, of course, and in 2008. And really, there wasn't anything going on uh, for my business. To be honest with you, I nearly went bankrupt. Uh, I was probably three weeks from actually going bankrupt had I not sold our house at that time. So it was a real stressful time, especially with a young family. And, you know, it was it was just a real tough time. So I started in that 2008 period, if, if everybody remembers, uh, the natural gas business was doing really well. So, you know, given that I had a chemical engineering degree, knowing I, knowing I knew how to raise capital, I... Um, I knew how to raise capital. I started working with a really high net worth guy out of Fort Worth, and we were doing disposal wells up around the Fort Worth area. And now what's the what, well, what's the yeah? I'm sorry, go ahead. What, what's a disposal well? I, mean, I know what it is. Yes. But a lot of people don't. So yeah. Go ahead. So a, dispo- so a disposal well is where they put the water after they frack a well. So I think you know a lot of people by now are really familiar with fracking wells so when you frack a well you pump a lot of water down the hole it opens up the formation and then presumably you're going to have oil and gas 
come back out of the formation. So with that oil and gas, you also have a lot of water that comes back up with that. Something has to be done with that water. So in most formations in the Permian Basin and in the Barnett Shale around Fort Worth at that time, those, that water gets hauled off and taken to a disposal well and gets pumped back into the ground. So we were going around Fort Worth drilling and completing a bunch of disposal wells. We were raising money from different banks to be able to do that. Um, and, and, you know, it was great. I had, I had a job. I had sweat equity in those projects. And it was really a godsend for me back in 2008, 2009. So uh, our biggest customer, XTO Energy at the time, said, hey, why don't you guys, we're starting to drill some wells up in, the, up in Pennsylvania in what was called the Marcellus Shale in its infancy. And as, so I went up to Pennsylvania, looked at the formation, looked at the regulations and said, well, we're not going to be able to drill any of these wells. We're going to have to come up with a different solution, but for a bunch of different reasons. So then uh, me and my team started working on a way to recycle this water. So instead of taking that water and pumping it back down into the earth, we were going to clean it up and use it again for the next uh, well completion, for the next frag job. So I think we were the first company doing this back in '09, um, and we built that business up in the Northeast, and ultimately we sold that part of the business, not the disposal wells, but the water treatment business. We sold the waste management, the big uh, the trash guys that everybody knows about. So, Did you, uh, so, so when you were de- when you're developing this uh, this uh, system of water reclamation, now did was there any uh, patents involved that you had to apply for? Was this a system that you came up with, or were you just going off of, of past experience? No, we, we we did get a patent. I've, I've still got that patent. I actually sold it um, to the private equity firm that bought my next company, Shale Water. But the system that waste management actually acquired. We didn't have a patent on. That was a, a different sort of system. So as part of that deal, I had to move up to Pittsburgh and run sort of oil and gas for waste management. That was a real area they were focused on back in 2010, uh, 2011. So I stayed with uh, with waste management running their oil and gas division for about a year. I was, I was contractually obligated for that year. Uh, my boss was a guy by the name of Jim Fish amazing guy, um, University of Texas guy. He's now the CEO of Waste Management. So, uh, so you know, he's done great things with that company. I think if you look at their stock price, it's quadrupled since he's been the CEO. Wow. So, so just yeah. good for him. Um, and then, so, would so, you, would, Waste so, you, so, you, so you, 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 you would recommend buying that stock now? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, We'll talk afterwards. I'll write down. I'll get, I'll get the information from you. So anyway, so go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, he's he's a great guy, and, and if he's in charge, that business will do great things. So um, the thing about, uh, you know, so I left Waste Management after that year, and I started Shale Water Solutions, which Shale Water did a lot of environmental services for oil and gas, and we actually did the same water recycling that we had done before, um, albeit with a different process. So I couldn't use the same process we had sold to waste management. So in order not to violate my non-compete, um, I had to come up with a new process. So it was a chemical process. And so we used chemistry to basically take the impurities out in the water and some different hardware that, that I had custom built to do that. That system I did patent. 
Um, okay. some great things with shale water over the next five or six years up in the Marcellus and uh, Utica shales in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia. And um, sold that business in 2016 uh, to a private equity firm, Golden Gate Capital, out of San Francisco. But an interesting, an interesting story, uh, which really sort of uh, is the best thing that came from all that, forget the, the money and all of that, is the, the company that I was buying my chemicals from the whole time, uh, my sales rep came up to me about two or three years after I'd been working with them and said, hey, our owner wants to meet with you. And I was like, you know, you guys are becoming a big part of our business. You know, she'd really like to meet with you. And I was like, okay, well, that's great. And so I went up to meet with my sales rep and the owner of the chemical company that I was using. And um, the lady who, who owned the company, uh, you know, we've now been married going on seven years. So uh, so that was, uh, that was a good good part of that business for me and, and probably the best thing that, that came of Shell Water besides the money and the Lamborghinis and, and all that sort of stuff. So it was, now, uh, well, it was a great experience. Yeah, give, give, give Amanda a good shout out there. Like, we all like her. She's a real sweet lady, like I can say. She's uh, uh, just nothing, just kind of very awful about it. I'll tell you how cool she is. When uh, Chance's birthday a few weeks ago, we all went to San Angelo and had dinner, and uh, we came back to Chance's ranch, and we were all watching the uh, championship heavyweight fight, and she went in there and baked cookies for us. And that was like, what, 11 o'clock at night? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. She did the same thing last night. So, uh, oh, really cool. Yeah, yeah. So no, she's she's cool. So get, get a nice, big shout out to you, Amanda. But anyway, go ahead, Chad. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. So sold that business in 2016. Uh, very beginning of 2016, did did pretty well with that, and then immediately, you know, I don't know if everybody remembers, but there's this Flint water crisis that was going on in Michigan, and I had moved up to Michigan in 2013, because that's where Amanda was from, and that's uh, where her kids were going to school and and whatnot, so, you know, we, we live in Michigan, and the Flint water crisis was going on, so we bought the oldest hamburger chain in Michigan, second oldest fast food chain in the country called Halo Burger, and Halo Burger was headquartered in Flint. And uh, we did a lot of good things. We, we bought a lot of bottled water, gave it to the community, brought in floatable water trucks and, and had people line up and, and have the ability to get as much water they needed during that Flint water crisis. So that was a great experience. Um, I'd never been in the restaurant business or the fast food business before, and, and we sold that business about a year ago and, and don't really want to get back in that one. But uh, all in all, it was, uh, it was a really good experience. I've I've heard the restaurant business is about the toughest business there is out there. Is that true? Sandy, with that said, we're going to have to take another break, Sandy. When you are, you know, it's it's just there's so many workers and labor is your biggest expense. It's a a challenge. Sandy, we're going to have to take a break on that. Right, Right. we'll be back right after this. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. 
Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio? Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. All right, so uh, this is Agent. This is the uh, agent in charge, Sandy Bostic, uh, out here, and, and I've, that's we uh, we've been talking for the last, I guess, about thirty minutes now with Chance Ritchie, a uh, former uh, officer in the United States Navy and a very successful businessman. He's uh, talked about the way he accomplished his American dream and and why uh, how he used uh, how he served and benefited from his military time and lessons he learned and, and uh, degrees he earned and, and businesses that he has uh, built, sold, and he continues to do that today. So, uh, so anyway, Chance, we were talking about the Halo Burger business and, and uh, the restaurant business, and you said you don't think you really want to get back in that. So, you know, where are you, where are you headed now? What's going on with you now as far as what your your, your goals and accomplishments will be? Well, you know, it's uh, obviously everybody's sort of taking a look at their goals in light of what's going on with coronavirus and, and really start to drill down on what's important in life. And, and, you know, I think my goals have always been to build businesses and sell businesses. And, and I really have always felt like the best thing I can do for the country is to create opportunity for others. Um, you know, I think at one time I employed about a thousand people in, in the state of West Virginia where the unemployment rate, wow. um, you know, is, is generally very, very high. Um, so that's always been the best way I thought I could contribute, um, and I, I still feel that way. So, you know, my wife and I are continuing to grow our, our chemical business, uh, which was her chemical business before she married me, and, and we're doing some different things in the oil and gas business. Um, but, you know, it just – I think we'll really come back from this, and America's probably the one country where if you're willing to put the work in – Regardless of where you came from, regardless of what opportunity you had uh, from the very beginning, you can accomplish anything you want to accomplish um, if you set your mind to it. And I'm, I'm really living proof of that. And I, I follow a couple of different people on Twitter whose opinions I don't agree with. And they say, hey, the American dream is dead. And the American dream is only for the privileged. Um, and, and that's just patently not true. And, you know, if there's one takeaway from this, you know, it's not for me to sit up here and talk about, you know, what I've accomplished or what I've done, but it's really to let people know that, you know, that can be you. I mean, you put the work in, you capitalize on your opportunities in this great country of ours, and anything's possible. You know, you and I talked about this, too. I mean, when you look at people, and this has been my observation of successful people, 
including yourself. And, and I was much the same way. I was pretty successful in my field for a lot of years. And, uh, it's that, you know, we talk, you know, you, you got to have what you, we get through, through, uh, you your, your military service. I got through the work of the agency I work for. You get yourself, you get self-discipline, get an education. But the one thing that, that we always said when we would get new agents in is that, you could always tell the guys that were going, guys and gals that were going to be great agents, because they had, they had, they had drive. They had, you didn't have to tell them to go out there and make a case, get out there and work. These guys, these people, did it all on their own. And, uh, and for a lack of a better term, uh, you know, whatever you say, workaholic, sometimes that that conjures up a uh, negative uh, uh, thought process where you're a person who only works to. Uh, to uh, work and to succeed, to be an overachiever, and it puts family and friends aside. But you obviously haven't done that. I mean, you found a way to balance that, and I had to find a way to balance as well as many hours as we worked to the years. So, what as far as you know, balancing uh, your your busy schedule? I say I'm, I'm just lucky to have you on day because I know how busy you are, and so you got a little downtime now. But I know. So, how do you how do you balance uh, and keep your sanity with all that you have going on all the time? Well, you know, it's really about setting priorities, I think. I mean, I really, um, you know, as you know, I like to work out a lot. So I always prioritize my health and my fitness because I feel like that that gives me the strength to do the other things. Um, and then, you know, I prioritize my family. And then and then work is, is probably third. Um, but, you know, if you manage your time properly and, and you know, look, I, I don't have a lot of hobbies, so it's easy for me. Um but if you manage your time properly, I think you have time for yourself, for your family, and for work. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, like I said right now, I mean, that's what that's what I admire about, you know, the way you do business is that you know, you're here with your, I believe your whole family's with you at the ranch right now, right? Yeah, that's that's right. The only one who's not with us is our oldest son, Jack, who decided to self-quarantine uh, at the University of Michigan. Really, yeah. How's old Jack doing? He's he's a good kid. I like. He's not really a kid anymore, but he's like a kid to me. <laughs> yeah, well, he's he's self quarantining with uh, plenty of beer. I'm sure. All right. Well, he's he still has room to pack on some pals. He'll be all right. So. <laughs> and uh, but anyway, so now yeah. So I mean, you know, interesting thing that I remember when uh, back when you left the Navy and uh, and Chance has a bunch of uh, buddies. He all he went to, to uh, high school with, and college with, and we talked about Cody and there's a whole crew of little guys. We, they called themselves very appropriately the Posse years ago. And but when you remember when you left the Navy and every one of us at one point sat down and told you how crazy you were. <laughs> He's like, you know, what are you thinking about? You can't leave the Navy. You only have a few more years left to go, and you told us, hey, I've got, I have another idea. I got stuff else I want to do. So, at what point did you realize that uh, that it was time to leave the Navy and, and, and go after your uh, your civilian dream? I would say. Well, I think it was on the submarine, and I always had this kind of entrepreneurial spirit. I, you know, I don't make a very good employee. I'm, I'm I do better whenever I'm I'm working for myself and and trying to hustle and create opportunities and and that really you know keeps me getting up and gives me that drive every day but you know i remember having a sit down with captain font uh on the submarine and i had about i don't know six months left on the boat and it was really the time when i had to choose between staying in and and getting out and i, I had a real sit down with captain Fonts and and him and i got along great he, he really really liked me and he said look chance most guys i sit in there and i tell them you know, in your position, you know, stay in, it's great benefits, this and that. 
with you, he said, it's a, it's a different story. He said, I, I really think it's in your best interest to get out there and chase your dreams of, of building businesses, and and I think that's what's best for you. So, you know, I still keep in contact with Kevin Fonts to this day, and, um, and you know, I think I think he would be proud of, of the advice that he gave me. Most definitely. So, now, and, and too, like I say, part of what we're talking about today, too, is, is uh, you served your country and you protected us in, in probably a bigger way than I ever did. I mean, you were actually out there with the nukes, you know, and, and your family didn't know where you were. And, and uh, I've never been on a modern submarine. I know that you, you took your dad one time on a, uh, I believe it was a couple days trip out, and, and he, he told me the stories about it and all. And so I know it was, it was not an easy time for, for anyone, especially, you know, with you having kids and a family. And, and so, uh, but uh, what's your view, though? As far as, the, but, you know, like myself, you know, I, I spent a lot of years trying to keep the uh, keep this country safe and, and it, it, it interject you how you want to. But, you know, the whole idea is the reason that we do this. We don't do it to protect the country. We really did it to protect our way of life, you know. And uh, and I, I tell people, you know, and it is pretty true. I'm, politically, I'm, I'm pretty much middle of the road. I'm one of those swing voters that everybody is always trying to get their votes, you know. But at the same time, but I, I, I stand very firm on that this country does not ever need to turn into a socialistic dictatorship type of a country. That's not what our founding fathers, that's not what they had in mind. I'm always amazed at how they managed to come up with the Constitution of the United States and how they predicted the problems that we would have today. I mean, you look at the Electoral College. I mean, I used to question Electoral College myself. Why in the world do we need this thing? When, how did they see that, you know? So what's your opinion on that? I mean, I mean why, why did you serve? Why, why did you fight to, to, to keep this country safe? Well, you know, first and foremost, it was because I really feel strongly about being an American and American values. And that was really the I wanted to give back somehow. I wanted to be... Of, you know, I wanted to be helpful, and I thought the best way for me to help at that time was to join the military. And if, if you know, that was in the time of the first Gulf War, and you know, I really wanted to, to be a part of that, and that's uh, that's why I joined. You know, and, and the real benefit to that, in addition to getting to serve my country, was that it gave me a time to grow up and to develop into a man, and 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 have some of the traits that I have today with initiative and and leadership. Um, you know, it's just. It was just a great experience for me. But getting back to your one point, I mean, you know, that you, you hit the nail on the head. It was not our forefathers' vision that you could marry up what they did with the Constitution with a socialist government. Those two things don't blend well. And I'm like you. I'm middle of the road politically. I mean, but I don't think we need to blow up the system. I don't think anybody's signing up for, you know, democratic socialism, socialism, whatever you want to call it, it all leads to the same thing as we've seen in Venezuela and Russia and some of the other countries that have adopted socialism and, and communism. So, you know, it really, you know, was a great thing for me to see Bernie Sanders sort of losing some of the momentum that he's lost over the last month because, you know, nobody wants that. I mean, yeah, there's changes that need to be made. In our country, uh, you know, do we need to make changes to the educational system so that everybody does have that equal shot um, at the American dream? Of course we do. But nobody is interested in sort of hitting the reset button and having this race to the bottom of society, which is ultimately what socialism brings. Right. 
I want to say one other thing. This this is deeper even than what you all are talking about. And um, Chance, it goes back to your dad and, and my era, back even in junior high school. We were talking about, and the books were <laughs> completely different from what they are today, but they were talking about the fact that socialism is the first step towards communism, and socialism is taking over the people without weapons, and then communism is holding those people in compliance with weapons. And this is exactly what you're seeing in Venezuela. That's why we do a show here on America's Web Radio called Let's Talk Venezuelan. And we get the truth out of Venezuela of exactly the depression that they're going through and the and the things that are happening in Venezuela that we're not hearing on the news and this is all of in my opinion all of what's happening today was what Khrushchev said many many years ago as he was beating his shoe on the UN table and chance you were you're too young to remember that but in fact, I'm, I don't even think you were around at that time. But with that being said, Khrushchev, the dictator of the USSR at the time, said, you know, America doesn't need to worry about us bombing them. We're going to take them from within. And that's exactly what's happened. They have taken us from within in universities by placing socialistic professors in universities that are taught to teach kids of all ages how great socialism is that's why bernie sanders had a following because people young people have been taught that socialism is the answer to all ills with that going um we'll leave right now we'll take a break we'll be back with sandy and chance right after a couple of messages hi this is steve ronaldo host of the classic car show on america's web radio uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have 
the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right. Welcome back to the uh, Agent uh, in Charge era, uh, hour here, era, uh, hour, sorry. And uh, we're on uh, online with uh, Dave Moxley and our special guest, uh, Mr. Chance Ritchie, uh, former submarine officer in the United States Navy entrepreneur who's been very successful and just a uh, rancher now and just a, a pretty darn down-to-earth guy, you know. So and uh, so anyway, so Chance, uh, we were talking during the break, you know, so of course the, everything, the only thing you see on the news today is coronavirus, you know, everybody's opinion, what's going on, every town, and, you know, the, the numbers and stuff, and everybody's heard my opinion. To me, the numbers still don't add up to the, uh, the reaction that we have going on, but that's just my opinion. I mean, I'm not a doctor, and there are doctors who will disagree with me. I know some doctors who do agree with me, but uh, but anyway. So you're so looking at the coronavirus. I mean, how do you see? It? I mean, what's your opinion of, of this whole situation? Well, I, you know, this is one area where, and I don't agree with everything the president says, but um, this is one area where I agree with him that let's give it a couple more weeks, and then let's slowly get back to business as normal. I think you still see the numbers climbing and climbing at a fairly significant rate. So that leads me to believe that, hey, another couple of weeks of, of social distancing, of doing your best to, to maintain this or, you know, contain the spread of the virus, that is probably a good thing to do. You know, I think beginning of April, middle of April, I think that's when everybody will start to come back and, and more or less get back to business as usual, hopefully by the end of April. Because I can tell you personally with our chemical business, you know, we've seen a 70% reduction in our revenue uh, as wow. a result of business, wow. some of our customers closing. Uh, we got deemed a, an essential or a critical business by the state of Michigan, so we're able to stay open. We're able to have guys go in uh, and manufacture chemicals. But the problem is, you know, except for our food businesses, we, we service a lot of egg wash companies and, and different food companies. Um, 
you know, except for those businesses, a lot of our customers have shut down, which cre- has created a ripple effect uh, throughout their supply chain. And, and, you know, if things don't turn around in the next three or four weeks, we'll have to look at layoffs and, and these different types of things. So I do like the president's, um, you know, thinking that we'll get back to normal or start getting back to normal uh, beginning in the middle of April. Yeah, that, and I, I hope I, 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 I can kind of see it, you know, in his expression when he speaks. Now, you know, I try to watch his uh, updates every day, and, uh, and he's a smart guy. I mean, whether you're a Trump fan or not, he's a very intelligent guy. And uh, but you know, you can he's you know he said it himself. You know, he said we just want to make sure that that the uh, the cure is not worse than the virus. And so he he definitely wants to get everybody back to work. And, uh, and we're going to have to. I mean, it's, it's, there's a certain point. I, uh, Governor Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo up in uh, up in New York, I mean, nothing personal against the guy, but every time he opens his mouth, the stock markets go down, and, and he doesn't share any of the same views as the president does. And, you know, so not a big fan, but here's the thing, you know, even I think he sees that, you know, he said that, that public health should not ever, uh, you know, be hindered by concerns about the economy, I disagree because, you know, if, if we don't have an economy, we don't have a country. And so and if we don't have a, a good economy going, I mean, the, the innovation, like you talked about, your patents was the same thing in, in medicine and uh, and uh, procedures and stuff that we have, we as a country have, uh, have developed just through innovation and through the desire to make the better track. You know, I just... I can't see, you know, at his point, but I can see the president definitely when he get everybody back to work. So that being said, I mean, so, okay, say things do go as planned, and by Easter, uh, all your companies that, that you service, uh, you know, the uh, doors are open, they get going again. Where's the best place to put some money now if you, you want to make some money back that you lost during this, during this crisis? Well, I think some of the, you know, some of the bellwether companies that have maybe, you know, taken a hit, a short-term hit, just because, you know, everybody got whacked, um, you know, as a result of the coronavirus. Those are probably good bets. Um, you know, some, you know, the the, the blue blue chip companies. You know, I, I mentioned waste management earlier. I mean, people are still going to be generating trash. So, um, right. yeah. you know, there's right. companies like that that have taken a small dip. Uh, some more significant than others. I mean, I think if it were me, I would probably stay away from oil and gas. I mean, my wife was telling me, I think it was yesterday, she's like, we need to invest in Halliburton and, and British Petroleum because their, you know, their stock is down 50 or 60%. And wow. to me, it's still, it still doesn't make sense. I mean, you know, you cannot sustain, uh, you know, some domestic oil production like an Occidental Petroleum or Diamondback, some of these others that are really focused on the Permian Basin, you cannot maintain domestic oil production when oil is in the 20s. I mean, it just doesn't make any right. sense. I don't know what, it, what it's doing today, but, um, you know, those companies aren't going to be able to service their debt, um, you know, if, if the market for oil, West Texas Intermediate Crude, is, is in the 20s. Last I saw, it was down 50 cents today. And so that said, now, and so, and, and you know, like we, we discussed with Dave uh, during the break, so, and then we just a little time we have left here, uh, how do you see the oil? I mean, the, the oil situation is almost separate from the coronavirus, or it was. Of course, now that there's not as near as much, people aren't dry, schools are shut down, uh, there's not near as much produce uh, being shipped around the country, so we're burning less fuel. 
Where do you, what's your evaluation or, or your opinion of the, the oil situation right now? Where's it, where's it going to go? Well, first and foremost, I think oil, domestic oil production is a matter of national security. I mean, we can, over the last three, you know, 30 years, we can look at all the wars we've been in as a result of not controlling our own destiny in terms of oil production. Um, you know, now that we are self-sufficient from an energy perspective, we don't have those same stresses that we did before. You're not going to have the Gulf Wars and those types of things that you had previously. So to me, maintaining domestic oil production capacity and capability is extremely important. So if I were the president, uh, you know, they do it with other industries, the steel industry, for example. I would look at tariffs on imported oil once the price got below a certain threshold because if you look at the drivers for low oil prices today, yeah, sure, it's a, it's demand-driven now that we're in the uh, COVID-19 and people aren't driving as much. I'm actually staring at a bunch of windmills that aren't running because uh, presumably there's not enough electricity to demand to make those economically viable. Um, wow. But, wow. Yeah. but uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at about 50 of them in, my, in the foreground now. But, um, you know, if you don't have that, you know, Russia and Saudi Arabia are at war with one another from a pricing perspective, trying to drive down the price of oil. So we need to protect ourselves and put a tariff on that imported oil whenever it's artificially low like it is today because of excessive production by OPEC and Russia. Uh, Chance, could, that, I, that could I ask a question the, right the, quick, uh, uh, you think Sandy? Keep the people in the, in the petroleum industry, would that keep them working at least? Like they can, they can meet their payroll? Yeah, it'll keep them working, able to service their debt, maintain that infrastructure that's built up. Because, you know, in, in, a, in a wartime scenario, we need that, that energy production is our leverage over the rest of the world. Sandy, uh, I'd uh, like to... How, how long can Sandy, the, 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 Russian, uh, the Russians and the Saudis, how can they... How, how, how much longer can they continue this battle? I mean, what's, uh, what do you think the time frame of that is? Well, one quick thing, Dave, I think you wanted to jump in there. Yeah, do you mind, uh, just quickly, I, I, and uh, Sandy, you and I were talking about it last night. I have this theory, and, and I agree with uh, both of you, that Trump is no dummy. And uh, he is, and was mentioning the other, fa- other day that he had bought up all the oil that he could and put it back into uh, our underground reserves. And... This whole thing is, is, as you mentioned, Sandy, is and and chance that this whole thing is based on price, and we know that price controls everything. So, and what Russia tried to do and Saudi Arabia is make uh, such a glut in the market that it drove oil down from, you know, the sixties down to sixty dollar a barrel, down to uh, thirty two, and now it's below thirty two in the twenties. But I think Trump is going to wait for the exact right time and say, "Folks in Russia and in uh, Saudi Arabia, you want to see what a glut in the market will do? Texas, crank up your wells, and the reserves come flowing out." And we will have our own glut against Russia and Saudi Arabia. That's only my my thinking, but there's a reason that he has filled up. There's a reason Trump has filled up all of the reserves with cheap oil today. What do you think, uh, Chance? Sandy, 
Sandy, could you repeat the question? Uh, Dave was, was cutting out a little bit on me. Yeah, I'm sorry, Dave. I, I, I was hoping the answer would, would be able to hear you better. I didn't, I didn't get it either. So can you, can you try it one more time? My apologies. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you all should have interrupted me and told me I was cutting out. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, we were both we were both raised to have manners by J.R. Richie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I started to ask if I started to ask a minute ago if you if you get slowed down or bored if you want me to tell you some J. Roy stories I I've got a pocket full of them. No, what I, what I, Sandy, what I was asking is, uh, and we're going to have to wrap it up. We're we're running out of time, but quickly, what do you think of uh, Trump buying up all the oil and filling up all of our reserves? Well, I I think it's a drop in the bucket. I think it's a move in the right direction. Uh, you might as well, you know, top off the strategic oil reserves while the price is so low. I think that's a that makes sense on a lot of different fronts, but it's not a long term solution to maintain domestic oil production if the Saudis and the Russians continue to pump as much oil as they are right now. Well, if you know, I, as I mentioned to uh, Sandy last night, my theory is that Trump's going to do it, and, then, and the reason that our prices are down is because they have put so much, Saudi and, and Russia have put so much oil on that there's a glut. And uh, I think Trump's going to come back at some point and tell Texas to crank up the wells and show the world what a glut really looks like. Could be. And the thing is, I mean, now I don't see that happening uh, during this current uh, coronavirus crisis because, you know, there's only so much that uh, that the people can, can, can handle at one time, as we've sure. seen. I, like I've discussed, I've, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, the uh, the total, the complete immersion of, of all the news channels and then social media has we just we learned that we have you know how fast the crisis can get blown out of proportion right. and uh, so I, I'm sure he, but it, I, I, I I agree with you Dave I'm sure that's on his mind sure I got I got to interrupt time. because we got to put a plug in the jug it's almost two o'clock uh, my time and. Uh, we got to get out of here. Sandy, thank you as always, agent in charge. And Mr. Richie, Mr. Richie, thank you for coming on an old man's show. And if you ever want some real tells, I'll tell you some of them uh, that your father has passed on yeah, to well, me. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> uh, You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.